Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope you're keeping well. Hope everything is going okay for you and yours. Everything is fine here. Thanks very much indeed for asking. I can hear you asking. It is, it's fine as things go. I mean, I wish that last week I hadn't sold all my GameStop stock, but hey, what can you do? Sometimes the, uh, the breaks are with you. Sometimes they're not. It's been a good week for Arsenal. Let's face it. We've signed a really exciting player and we're going to talk about Martin Odegaard now in just a few minutes time. Uh, we've also won a game away from home against a team which uh, has been tricky enough for us. Not only that, we scored three goals. We came from behind to win a game, and I can't remember the last time we did that in the Premier League. I should look it up, shouldn't I? Through the magic of technology and just clicking around and stopping recording and just coming back, I have looked it up, and it turns out the last time we came from behind to win a game in the Premier League was on July the 15th. Remember that game? against Liverpool. We beat them 2-1 at home. Played them off the park. If you remember, Sadio Mane got a goal very much against the run of play. And then, of course, we just turned the screw. Turned the screw. Lacazette and Reese Nelson scoring the goals before halftime. Had no assistance whatsoever. No mistakes from the uh, Liverpool side. It was all down to how well Arsenal played. But there you go. That will tell you that it has been quite some time since we came from behind. A little bit later on, we are going to be talking to Musa Kwonga. Our old friend is back to talk a bit about Manchester United, talk about Arsenal to shoot the footballing breeze. So he'll be along uh, a little bit later on in the show. And in a couple of moments' time, we are going to uh, talk to Phil Costa from One Football about Martin Odegaard and also, you know, just what's been going on at Arsenal this week in general, our return to form, etc., etc., ahead of what is a very, very big game this weekend. For those of you who want even more Martin Odegaard in your life, you can listen to a podcast on Patreon. We recorded last week with Alex Kirkland of the Spanish Football Podcast. Gives you some background and, of course, throughout the week we've been producing uh, some really great stuff on the site. There's a profile piece by Phil who I just uh, mentioned there. You can find that on arsblog.com. John Ollington has done a really good data viz piece that looks at Martin Odegaard's stats and presents them in very swish, fancy graphical formats, uh, which I love, I have to say, because my brain doesn't work that way. I can't do that stuff. I don't know. I'm not good at picturing things. I don't know what it is. I'm not a good envisager of stuff. Like, you know, if you were doing some house improvements and someone said, well, you know, look, we could do this here. We could, you know, build a little thing there and it would all look blah. And I'd be like, no, no, 
doesn't work for me. No, I need pictures. I need pictures. So John's pictures of the stats are absolutely great. You find that over on Arsblog News as well. So lots and lots to be talking about. The end of the transfer window is coming, of course. The deadline is February 1st, which is, is that Tuesday or Monday? Where's my calendar? Again, all these things I should look up before I start recording a podcast. Uh, February 1st is Monday, so I think it's an 11 o'clock deadline. So whether we do a live blog or not, I'm not 100% sure about this particular one because I think we've done the incoming business we are going to do. Mikel Arteta didn't really rule it out completely in his press conference on Thursday, but I will be very surprised. I think if there's any action, it's going to be loan moves uh, from an Arsenal perspective. There's some talk about Ainsley Maitland-Niles going on loan, Reese Nelson going on loan. There's some suggestion that Shkodra Mustafi could go the same way as Mesut Ozil and uh, not say Kolasinac, Socrates, and have his contract terminated early so he can go off and do whatever it is he wants to do. I mean, Liverpool are kind of in need of a central defender at this moment in time, aren't they? I mean, they could do worse than taking a punt there. No, that is not rhyming slang. How dare you? Anyway, let's see what happens between now and Monday night when the window closes and we'll have a a full idea of what squad we have to work with between now and the end of the season. Right, let's get on with the show. Loads to get through, loads to talk about and of course, a very exciting signing this week when Arsenal brought in Real Madrid's Norwegian international midfielder, creative midfielder at that, Martin Odegaard. And with me to discuss him and the other bits and pieces around Arsenal this week from One Football, it's Phil Costa. Hi, Phil. Hi Andrew, how's it going? I'm good. How's it going with you? Are you excited by this um, this arrival? It 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 feels like it feels a bit unreal slash surreal because the other morning I was writing the blog and you know there were these rumors going around about uh, Odegaard maybe coming to us on loan and I was writing in the blog. You know I don't really see this happening. It seems a bit of a stretch. And if he's got the chance to go back to Real Sociedad, he might go there. And literally as I was writing, the stories dropped about like basically it's happening he's going to come to us uh it all seemed to happen really quickly so uh are you a surprised and b excited by by his arrival yeah i was i was like you really um once i heard that real sociedad were were keen on bringing him back it it made a lot of sense in my head because Mm. you know he had such an impressive season there on loan obviously in in 2019-20 so for me it just made a lot of sense you can say in spain but their situation is a bit different this year because they're good. You know, they're quite good <laughs> and they're they're sort of not direct rivals with Real Madrid, but mm. getting close. Um, and then I saw a couple of links from Sky Sports and was like, well, you know, they're not exactly the barometer of reliability these days. And then it tried emerging from Spain. And I was thinking, all right, well, maybe we're onto something here. And then, you know, it's I, I think it's a really good signing and probably the best um, Arsenal could have done in January, to be quite honest, because you know there were a few other other players linked, like uh, Dominic Soboslai and and Emi Buendia, but for various mm. reasons they were never really going to happen. Um, and you know we we needed someone in regardless, and I think this has just sprung up at, at the perfect time, really. It you know it's it's an exciting signing because he he is a player who you know has been on people's radars for a long time even though he's only 22 you know he he did the rounds he came to arsenal he met arsen wenger at the training ground as everybody knows i'm sure and bayern munich were interested and i'm sure many other big clubs were interested before he ended up going to real madrid 
um, you know, such is the, the, the nature of that club that it is difficult for young players to make a breakthrough. I think he's only played 10, 11 games for them, but he has had very good loan spells uh, with uh, Heronveen, with Vitesse, and, and also Real Sociedad, as we mentioned. So, you know, this is a player of real potential, real talent. And I know some people might look at it and say, well, look, he hasn't really made it at Madrid. They're developing him, or at least... You know, he is developing while he's not playing for them. You know, he's played three seasons of first team football in various leagues, got lots of experience, you know, development experience, uh, you know, from a, a personal point of view as well. So, you know, when you look at, uh, at the profile of the player and, and what he could potentially do for us in these few months, it really is very, very exciting. No, absolutely. I mean, when people say he hasn't made it at Real Madrid, I think that's mm. a bit of a ridiculous statement because, you know, this is the biggest club in, in world football. Um, and, you know, their history with young players under Zidane especially has not been mm. um, so great. I mean, he has sort of the trusted old guard in in midfield in particular with Modric and Kroos and Casemiro who barely ever move. Um, you know, if they're fit, they're playing. It's as simple as that. So it's not easy to break into, into that team. So, you know, and, you know, expecting a 19, 20, 20-year-old to be the finished article is also extremely unrealistic you know unless you're a special talent um so i think the loan spells were were best for him actually to get away from that environment to go and experience regular football and he's sort of done them in a in a good way as well he went from heron vane who are you know quite mid-table in 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 the netherlands that he's gone to a sort of top six contender in vitesse and that and then you know real sociedad who are obviously a, a big club in spain but not exactly challenging for for the title. So, and now hopefully the next step is Arsenal where he can, he can come in and impress because I really think he's got the, the ability to do it. It's just about a manager that trusts him again, mm. which, which seemed quite crucial to him in his, um, in, in his uh, interview with the club. Yeah. I know people talk about the, the spell that he had at Real Sociedad and he was very good there, particularly in the first half of the season. Um, we've a, a profile uh, podcast over on the Patreon uh, with Alex Kirkland from the Spanish football podcast. He was really, really good in that for, in the first half of that season, but the season of Vitesse as well, I know it's Eredivisie and uh, you know, maybe it, it doesn't quite stack up against La Liga and the Premier League and Bundesliga itself. But, you know, he had a really, really good season uh, with Vitesse. I think he would uh, 12 assists and 11 goals in all competitions, which are great numbers for a player of, of his age. This was two years ago as well. Yeah, no, I mean, this is, um, you know, his development has been no surprise. It, what annoyed me is how he sort of became the, the butt of the joke to those like football lad pages about how he hasn't fulfilled his potential and, you know, just because he came onto the scene at 15, there was no real guarantee of him being a, a good player. Mm. I mean, there was one case in particular with a with a Milan youngster called Hachim Mastor, who was supposed to be like the next the next big thing, and he was signed up by Nike at 13 and everything. And I was playing in the third division in Italy, so you know, even to be at this level, yeah, um, is 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 super impressive anyway. So, you know, I think deep down inside of him, he'll that can act as motivation for him because. In Spain, there's a lot of people that that go along that narrative, you know, to to try and bring him down. But I think here he can sort of draw a line under the first part of the season, in which you know, let's be honest, wasn't great. Um, 
he can try a new league, a new manager, a new, a new playing style and really prove to some people that he's, you know, the real deal. Yeah, it's, and it seems, you know, he said, what did he say today? I have the quotes here somewhere. He says, I like the club. I've always liked the way the club wants to play. Everything about the club and how the manager wants to play. Uh, I, I think it's a club that really suits me well. So I think it's a, it's a good match. And you know what? Maybe six weeks ago, we wouldn't quite have thought that in terms of how we were playing and the sort of football that we were producing, you know, was really not great. But now you look at it and you think, okay, I see exactly how this guy fits into this. You know, the emergence of Emile Smith-Rowe has shown us the benefits of having a, a, a player in that position, playing that role on the pitch. Now we've got another one who can do that. You know, you look at the young manager, you've got a young side with some young, talented players. I know we've got some grizzled old veterans in there of various stripes who we care for to varying degrees. But, you know, there is a lot of young talent at the club. When you when you look at it, you know, with Saka, with Smith-Rowe, with Pepe still in his mid-20s, you know, there's some uh, good young players at, at this football club. Danny Ceballos, of course, who's a teammate of his at Real Madrid. Um, you know, you, you can see how this how this might really work for him. Um, you know, in terms of slotting in and and hopefully hitting the ground running. But but when you look at him and when you look at the kind of player he is, what stands out for you most, and how easily or otherwise do you think he will be able to bring those qualities to the Premier League? Well, I mean, first of all, he's incredibly technically gifted. I mean, that's clear. As soon as you watch him for mm. for the first, even the first five minutes of a game, you can see his control, his touch, his general awareness is, uh, you know, top notch, really. And, you know, I think it's only left footers that are allowed to be cultured, you know. Um, but it's just, you can see it straight away. And, you know, I don't want to make the comparison because it's, you know, we're kind of done with that now, but he's very young Ozil-esque, you know, because mm. when he arrived with us, Ozil was, you know, he had a really impressive burst and um, he was no slouch by any means. I mean, obviously that changed in his in his later years, but you can see that when he's driving through central areas and sort of, you know, bristling past players. I mean, obviously the physical uh, game in Spain is very different. Um, I mean, if if someone tries to take him down in England, there's more more than nine times out of 10, he's going to go down. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's just his general touch, his technical security, but also what interested me when I was researching for the piece was how he, he brings a lot of qualities that we lack in general, or we did lack, maybe not so much now, but like you said, during that spell a couple of months ago, you know, he was, he was really high for key passes, um, really highly ranked for forward passes, really highly ranked for passes into the area. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, exactly what we want to bring uh, instead of that dull horseshoe football that we saw for, for far too long. Um, so instantly you pick up these numbers and, and, and you're encouraged, you know, because he's someone else that can play as the number 10 in place of Smith Rowe on the right, maybe in place of Saka as a rotation option, so he can play with Smith Rowe and maybe even deeper yeah. uh, in a midfield three or, or alongside Thomas Party. So there's a lot of um, you know opportunity with this player, and I think Arsenal have done really well to to sign him because I know there were a couple of others interested as well, like Ajax and um, obviously the the threat of Real Sociedad. But you know, if you just look at things, even without going too deep there's a lot of potential here for me. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned um, 
or, or sort of have hinted at a versatility there in, in where he might play. And I've seen people put their fantasy Arsenal teams up with Partey and, and Odegaard as uh, midfield two with, you know, Smithrow ahead of them. And you've got Saka and Aubameyang and Pepe maybe, you know, uh, Martinelli in there as well. So um, there's certainly uh, potential. I'm not sure that's necessarily something that Mikel Arteta will go for. I think he might just want a bit more experience in, the, in that yeah. central area first and foremost. Mm-hmm. So do you see him as, you know, is is it a case that himself and Emil Smith-Rowe are going to be rotating, competing, keeping each other fresh? Or are there ways that those two could fit into the team uh, even without uh, Odegaard being part of what might be considered a, a double pivot or part of that central midfield duo? I mean, for me, he was primarily signed as the, the rotation option with Smith-Rowe. Um, because, you know, we're all in, in the honeymoon phase with him now and we want to see him every week, but it's quite easy to forget that he's, A, still very young mm. uh, and, B, very injury prone. So we don't want to, you know, make the, the mistake of overloading him, which will, A, impact his, his form in, in the present and, B, his long-term future with injuries. So for me, that's primarily where he's going to be coming and playing. But as you said, there are other opportunities. You know, he, he played on the right, for Real Sociedad a lot, which then gave the the right back a lot of um, sort of space to go forward because obviously he would tuck inside on his yeah. left. And even potentially with Smith-Rowe, there's an opportunity for, for both of them to play as eights. Um, you know, if we if we wanted to try a 4-3-3, for example, they could both play in front of a, a Thomas Party, for example, or yeah. a Granit Xhaka. And even though their sort of raw defensive numbers are not so impressive, so the ones that most people think about are tackles and interceptions, they're both rank relatively um, sort of low for those, even though he had a nice spell in the test with, with some defensive work. But looking beyond that, there's ball recoveries and pressures, which, which they both rank quite highly on. Yeah. So was... maybe if we, if we weren't looking for them to be stuck in, you know, typical British challenges, yeah. if, we, if we need them to press, for example, and pick up those loose balls that like we did against Southampton during the week, then there's opportunity for that maybe as well. I mean, I don't know how often it would be tried, but... I think while he's here, we definitely have scope to try different things. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you just, you know, finally on him about that that side of his game. Obviously, you know, I think we can all see and people have watched videos now. People have been on YouTube. They've seen the passes. They've seen the creativity, you know, and, uh, you know, the idea of him picking up the ball in that kind of right-hand half space, dropping between the lines, and then looking for the kind of runners that we could provide from there. You know, Martinelli, you think about Aubameyang cutting in from that left-hand side, maybe uh, Smith-Rowe, even uh, Tierney overlapping on that left-hand side as well. I, You know, I'm, I'm sort of picturing all kinds of magical things here with rainbows mm-hmm. and goals galore and everything like it. But one of the things that, that was doing the rounds before he signed was that one of the re- Reasons he wasn't in Zidane's team beyond Zidane's obvious preference for for experience and the guys who have been there and done that was perhaps a lack of defensive awareness. And look, you have to find the balance between, you know, what a player gives you offensively. Do you want him doing all the dirty work? But I think what Smith Rowe has shown in the last couple of weeks is that it is possible without being like this sort of all-action sliding tackle guy, that you can do a fairly significant amount of what might be considered defensive work without being truly a defensive player, if you know what I mean. So how he might work on that level for Mikel Arteta, um, have you any thoughts on that? 
I mean, it's difficult to say because obviously we don't know what they're working on in training. But I think before sanctioning the deal, Mikel Arteta would have been very clear about the it's oh, terrible phrase, but non-negotiables. Um, yeah. You know, it, yeah. he would have been clear that you know, for all his ability, for all his work in the final third, he needs to contribute to the team. Um, and I, with him, I don't think it's a lack of uh, willingness to do it. I think it's more his general awareness because he's never really been asked to do it before. Um, because, for example, you mentioned his previous loans at Heronvane. He was basically the guy. Vitesse, he was the guy to create everything and he was never asked to do the dirty work. But now when you're in a big team, that dynamic changes because... Mm. You, know, you can be the star, but you also have to work. You, you've seen it with Man City. Um, you've seen it with Barcelona during the, the Pep Guardiola years when they won everything. You know, that there has to be a balance to your game. And I think over time, he has to buy into that. And I'm sure he will because I, I really felt a, a desire for him to to prove people wrong and, and to succeed here. Mm. I mean, who knows what, what can happen beyond the, the initial six months that we've got him for. But I don't know. I felt, you know, a, quite an honest... Um, sentiment when he was talking about succeeding here. So for sure, I think he'll he'll be willing to put the put the hard yards in because, like you said, it doesn't need to be blood and thunder. It can just be, you know, learning when to press and where to pick up the loose balls. And, and you know, that's um, not the hardest part of your game to, to figure out. I mean, he's got the ability. If we can add this as well, English football is pretty demanding. So mm. that will always be a plus if he can manage to put that side to his game as well. What do you know about his pace? Is he quick? Is he like... I wouldn't say he's naturally quick. I don't think he's like a, a Martinelli, for example, but he's got a burst. Um, over the first five, ten yards, I can yeah. definitely see him getting away from people. But if we're looking to put you know long balls down the line where he has to sprint 30 yards with, I don't know, a fullback, then I'm not really backing him to win yeah. um, many races. But I've seen him hold his own in, you know, those, the tussles with the ball, you know, when they're, um, when he's being pressed, and he's also really good at you know those little one-touch turns away from away from players when they you know coming right behind you looking to slam you, he can always escape those. So yeah, you know he's he's got the tools to do it, but for sure his defensive work needs a bit of sharpening up. Mm. Um, but I think if we're going to use him in central spaces, he's more than capable of getting away from players. Yeah, I mean I think if we're uh, hitting long balls for him to chase down the wing, we're not using him correctly. It would be yeah, fair to absolutely. say, uh, which isn't to say it can't happen. But yeah, I thought it was quite interesting as well where he was talking about the Arsenal player that he really idolised, and that was Cesc Fabregas. And mm. you know, if he could bring a little bit of Cesc Fabregas to our midfield in the second half of this season, I think we will all be delighted about that from a, a footballing perspective. Obviously. Um, Let's talk just a little bit about the the January window in general then. And and obviously, as we head towards the end of this month, at the end of December, we were in a dark place, I think. Uh, You know, the team was in a dark place. The fans were in a dark place. It didn't look good. Nothing was going our way. You know, I think there was an element of uh, bad luck along the way. But, you know, ultimately results tell you the story and results weren't good enough. And and here we are towards the end of January and results have been an, an awful lot better. Obviously, in the Premier League, uh, we've picked up some points. We've scored more goals. We've, we've conceded fewer goals. We've found a way to play, which is much more exciting and entertaining and has has possibility to it rather than this sort of finality that you kind of uh, looked at when we were playing in, in 
that bad run, you kind of knew what was going to happen. This, you know, doors are opening uh, in terms yeah. of players coming back and everything else. And and the squad has been changed slightly as well. Obviously, there have been some departures. Uh, Socrates is gone. Mesut Ozil is gone. Kalasinac is gone. Um, it remains to be seen if, if one or two others go out on loan before the end of, of the January window. It would be a little bit of a surprise for me if someone like Reese Nelson, for example, didn't take uh, a loan move to, to get playing time under his belt. So, I mean, what 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 are your thoughts on on the window? Obviously, we got Matt Ryan in to to provide more experience cover for for Bernd Leno. Uh, Odegaard has come in. So, you know, how do you feel about the way the window has been uh, carried out under what remains difficult circumstances from a transfer perspective? No, no, I actually think they've done a really good job. Um, I mean, the, the the two major priorities for this window were sorting out a loan for William Saliba and the Ozil situation, for me anyway. Mm. Um, and both of those have been sorted now. So, And what I liked about Saliba is that it was sorted early. You know, they'd obviously had conversations um, towards the end of December with his, with his people, with him um, and with the club as well about what's best for him and, and going back to France always seemed ideal for me. I don't think a, a championship team would have, you know, tested him all that, all that well. And, you know, Nice are in no great shape now, which is why I was a bit surprised initially because yeah. I, I was thinking, Oh God, are we throwing, throwing him to the lions basically. But even though results haven't been amazing, you can instantly see like he's a leader in that team, um, which is, you know, really good for us because that's what we want. That's what we signed him for. And, so that's been sorted. Obviously, Kalazinac was done as well. And I know there was a bit of a, a long-running saga with Ozil, but I mean, that was done relatively smoothly. You know, we said our goodbyes and we can finally turn a page with that now. So for me, that was perfect. I'm, I'm incredibly happy with that. And then my main concern as well was a creative midfielder. and We've done that as well. So um, no real complaints with that. And I think Matt Ryan is is decent deputy for, for six months. I mean, obviously... We all know what happened with Runison, and mm. uh, I think you mentioned it before. I don't think he was ever signed to be second choice, um, but for various reasons, you know, our pursuit of David Rea and, and maybe Freddie Woodman didn't come off, so he was sort of plunged into action. Um, but yeah, he's clearly not good enough or, or ready enough to be second choice now. So I think we've done him a favour and we've done ourselves a favour um, bringing in Matt Ryan, who you know has struggled this year, but he knows the Premier League and probably will be happy to to sit on the bench for unless an emergency strikes, which I'm praying it doesn't. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Like Definitely I said the other day, like if 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 he never yeah, yeah. plays, if he never plays for us. That's fine. I'm fine with it. I'm sorry to yeah, all our Australian, absolutely. all our Australian listeners who who maybe won't be happy with that. But I think the you know we're at the business or heading into the business end of the season. If we can make progress in the Europa League and if we continue to to get results in the Premier League, you know we don't have cup games anymore from for Matt Ryan to play in. So you know all going well, he won't play, which of course won't be well for him. But just to have that reassurance at, at uh, you know in reserve, I think is is important. And that was an issue that we really, really did have to address just in case mm-hmm. something happened. I mean, left back, how, how do you feel about that situation? I know we were linked with Ryan Bertrand from Southampton, who, you know, at a push, I think you could make a case for a loan move until the end of the season, but certainly not the kind of age profile of player we should be looking to to offer a um mm-hmm. 
a permanent deal to, even if it is in the summer, even if it is on a free transfer, because I think he's 31, 32 years of age. We need to yeah. to do things a bit differently there. You know, are you happy enough that we can cope if, um, you know, as looks likely, Kieran Tierney is not going to be able to play every game, uh, you know, between now and May. Uh, he is going to have to be rested along the way. Are you confident enough that with Cedric, with Maitland-Niles and, uh, and what we have there, that there's sufficient cover for for tyranny or is that still maybe a bit of a worry i think it's definitely a situation we'll have to revisit in the summer um but for now i'm kind of okay with it um obviously i we know tyranny has a history with injuries and recently we've sort of worked him to the bone and we can see that now because he hasn't featured in a couple of matches and maybe potentially not against manchester united as well which is a which is a big loss if he doesn't make it but I think in, in Cedric and, and Mayla Niles, we have enough if we need it. Obviously, it will, it will never be the same threat and uh, sort of it's just a, a nicer fit, a nicer balance when there's a left footer on that side. Um, but I thought Cedric did well uh, against Southampton. Mm. And I think Ainsley Mayla Niles can do well there, uh, even though he hasn't really done it recently. Um but I think we we just have enough. But I would have been quite quite fine with Bertrand coming in. I think he's a good player. But like you said, it would have been um, silly for us to give him anything longer than you know six months because we need to learn from our lessons basically and and look at the age profile, which is exactly what we don't want to do again. Get stuck with a underperforming player on on big wages. So mm. I think we'll we'll go again in the summer, and it will either be a a young English uh, left back from from the championship that we can sort of have as understudy to Tierney and he can develop with us, or it will be a you know an experienced option from from France or Spain that can sort of be happy to be second choice, but also fill in when needed. So, um, but I think on the whole we've we've done well in January, and I've enjoyed um, Arsenal being willing to to terminate the contracts because it's never the the ideal situation for any club to do that because you're basically just throwing money away. Um, but I think it's more about the message as opposed to what we're going to lose financially. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, there were situations that needed to be sorted out. And, you know, I, I know the, you know, people are joking about how we've we've given players away for free and now we're paying them to go away, etc., uh, etc. Et but, you know, there there is a need um, to trim that squad and to to have a, a smaller group of players for the manager to work with on a daily basis, and, and I think as well, you know, some of those situations they weren't healthy for anybody. You know, it wasn't healthy for Mesut Ozil or Socrates. I don't think as experienced players to be around. I just don't think it's a healthy situation. Um, you know, it doesn't create the optimal work environment. Even if you have players in training, you know, they turn up, they're professional, they do what they're going to do, and and you know, it's not to say they're causing any problems. But these are guys who are just can't be in your team, so they're just they're just a bit surplus to requirements in a way, you know. And and you know, good for both of those guys. They've both got good moves. Ozil's gone to to Turkey to play for Fenerbahce. Uh, Socrates back to Greece to play for Olympiakos. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels inevitable at some point if we get European football next season that we'll meet him again at least. Yeah, I mean, look, I think there was nobody likes to to have to be in that situation like we mentioned and obviously now when when finances are so tight you you don't want to be paying players off basically but I think it was more of an element of cutting off the the infected foot to save the body you know um Mm. and it's you know it's just something that we had to do because like you said it wasn't healthy and every week there was debate about 
uh, why isn't Ozil playing? Why isn't he in the squad? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And now we can just sort of draw a line under that, um, move on with what we've got and hopefully learn uh, from from those mistakes because the, the last few years have shown that uh, we didn't. Um, but mm. maybe now this is the finally the sort of open your eyes moment to see that squad building is, is crucial, especially now when, when we're going to be short on cash. Yeah, for sure. So uh, let's just very quickly talk about what's coming up this weekend. We have Manchester United. We have the advantage of uh, an extra day's rest, of course, because they played on Wednesday. We played on Tuesday. But uh, our form going into this one certainly would make you feel a lot more encouraged than it did a, a few weeks ago. You know, we've even found a way to to win games uh, or without our, our talisman, without Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who, you know, hopefully, uh, thankfully, he's got some good news regarding his personal situation, could be back involved for the weekend. I'm not 100% sure on that. But, you know, to be able to go to somewhere like Southampton and win the game and score three goals without him, it isn't to sort of criticise him, but it is, it, I think it's healthy that we can go and do that given how reliant we have been on on his goals in the past. Yeah, definitely. And another thing to note was that we actually came back from behind, um, yeah, which yeah. this team is notoriously bad at doing. Um, but even when the goal went in, I was thinking, we look like scoring every time we go forward. So, you know, I never felt resigned as I have done in the past you know it's usually one goal and that's it but I don't know I've got a lot more faith in this team uh, sort of attacking wise and I just feel like the general balance of the of the sides is so much better than than what it was mm. um so I mean look everyone knows that United are, are flying at the moment they they never seem to lose any games anymore you know they go behind they win um they beat Liverpool the other day and it's just you know it's a big test of, of where we are and how far we've come because you know lose this game and things are kind of ugh, you know yeah. back down heads are down again and maybe not within the squad but you know for fans it would be such a nice boost to have a, a good result here on on Saturday so you know and there's no doubt about it it's going to be a hard game because you know Bruno Fernandes is has the Midas touch at the moment and Solskjaer's got Pogba working again and Rashford's playing well and even Maguire looks, you know, solid. Um, so look, it's, it's going to be a hard game, but I've, I've got a lot more faith in us and sort of the options we have now with, with Smith-Rowe in the side, Saka's on fire, you know, Thomas Party brings us so much in def- uh, midfield, sorry. Oh, yeah. Um, but, but Leno has, has really improved a lot. Um, so, you know, who knows? Um, so it's a strange feeling, you know, being yeah. positive. It, it uh, is. Yeah. I mean, just very finally then uh, on Partey, I think what's interesting to, to him or interesting to me about him rather is that he is one of the few players that I can think of in really recent memory where when he is on the pitch, when he's in the starting 11, I immediately feel much better about the team. And that might sound really obvious or terribly reductive or whatever it might be, but just the 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 calmness and the assurance and the ability he has to do things in midfield where, you know, we've spent, I don't know how many seasons looking at players unable to do things under pressure. You know, mm-hmm. when they've got time and space, they can look tidy and uh, can be very effective, but under pressure, 
in the Premier League, where you're pretty much always under pressure, it's been kind of our downfall for, for quite a long time. So, you know, to have this guy in our team who's got those qualities, I find him very comforting to my footballing soul. I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's you know, the he's just so measured uh, and composed and calm all the time. And, and obviously that transmits to us, you know, because so like you mentioned, all it takes is is a couple of guys pressing Granite Xhaka and, and and there's a turnover. You know, there's four people running at our goal. So he just he's just such a well rounded, you know, technically good, physically strong. Um, he's got such a nice range of passing, and he looks so cool doing everything all the time. And you know, a lot of people were skeptical about the deal with his age and his wages, and you know, that's perfectly fine. We mm. we learn so much about deals nowadays and we're all clued up on everything and but for you know if you can sign a good player you sign them and that's exactly what we've got in Thomas Party and you know he's he's just been such a miss for us because that's why I was furious watching him limp off against Spurs because it was so obvious he wasn't ready for that game and you know losing that game was no no one wants to lose a derby but it was this what six or so games after that when you just think oh he could have been so useful here yeah um, so it's just lovely to have him back and actually I think he was um, you know limping with a bit of cramp the other day so hopefully that's nothing serious but for sure we're we're much more well equipped to to play Premier League football like you said which is all about physicality pressing transition you know we've got a bit of a beast in there and it's and it's just so good that he can play a pass as well yeah okay well look fingers crossed he is fit for Saturday and that we can keep this uh, keep this good run going against what is going to be a, a, a tough United side to face uh, as ever Phil thanks a million uh, really good to talk to you and we'll catch up with you again soon Cheers, Andrew. Thanks. Thank you to Phil. You can find him on Twitter. He is at underscore Phil Costa, at underscore Phil Costa. And the piece that he wrote for the website, you can find in the show notes, or you can just go over to arsblog.com. You'll see it there in the columnist section, or you'll find it in the actual post for this particular podcast over on arsblog.com. So thanks again to Phil. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Right, with Manchester United at the weekend, who better to talk to about that game and all things Manchester United than our good friend Musa Okwanga. Hi, Musa. Aman, how are you doing? I am all right. How are you doing? Very well, thanks. Very well. Nice and cosy in my quiet corner of East Berlin. Yeah, (laughs) podcasting the life out of everything these days. Yeah, as as are you, my (laughs) man, as are you. Actually, I want to say this before we get into it. Um, I can't think of many club podcasts, fan podcasts, where you have players and ex-players that listen as closely as Arsblog. Like... This is a thing that's always struck me like there's often a disconnect between 
you know, the fans and the clubs. Mm. But it's really notable to me how how you've managed to engage people in that community, which is not that common, I think. Mm. So yeah, sh- shout out for that, man. It's a big deal. Well, thank you very much. I just, you know, I, I keep talking into this thing in front of me and people keep listening. So, you know, as long as that's happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, listen, you, there's no accounting for taste. Well, this is very <laughs> true, which is why, uh, you know, I'm here talking to you right now. So <laughs> <laughs> my man, my man. let's it's talk about United and let's talk about, you know, what happened to your team uh, after we beat you at Old Trafford. And, you know, it was quite interesting because when I think back to that game from an Arsenal perspective, you know, we had Thomas Partey in there playing one of his first games for the club and he was so good he made Mohamed Elneny look like Busquets. You know, that's how good (laughs) Thomas Partey is. You know, it it was a team performance that we looked at as Arsenal fans and said, wow, yeah, this is... This is really promising. This is so encouraging. I'm so pleased about where we're going. And then we didn't win a game until the 26th of December. That game took place on the 1st of November. Conversely, Manchester United went on a 13-game unbeaten run until Wednesday night um, when you lost to, to Sheffield United. So a hell of a run for you guys. What? happened or what was it or was it a response to that or or you know what did you see from your team after that game at Old Trafford where we beat you 1-0 if I can be honest I don't know I don't know and this is the greatest um this is the greatest indictment of the fact that we just have no idea what goes on in the dressing room in Mm. in the sanctum we just don't know because I can point to the easy answers and say that Bruno Fernandes continued being a leader and that Paul Pogba recovered from some of the side effects, after effects of, of the worst of COVID. Mm. And then also was liberated, I think, Pogba by the fact that Fernandez has taken that kind of, the alpha roles of Pogba is just free to create. Um, we can talk about formation changes, but I think fundamentally what's happened is that United have a squad where you've got maybe four or five genuine match winners, genuine match winners at an elite level. And I would say maybe three of those. So specifically Rashford, Fernandez and Pogba can decide games at the very highest level, at the very highest level. And then Cavani as well, of course, you know, can't miss out Cavani. Mm. And I think that Solskjaer just has everyone playing for him and rooting for him. And don't forget that we had some ropey results. Even after that defeat to you, we lost to Basak Shear. We lost uh, to Paris Saint-Germain. We got mm. bounced out of the Champions League. We lost to Leipzig. So we had bad results, like since you beat us at Old Trafford. But I think the difference is that... Um, you know, United, we just have more goal scorers. Like if Arteta had the tools that Solskjaer had, Arsenal would be a bit higher in the table. And that's what's intriguing now is to see, and this is not a respect to Solskjaer. Solskjaer has done a job, actually. i got to shout out him because he has done a job that surpassed my expectations. After that 6-1 defeat to Spurs at Old Trafford, I thought we were just going to be like in the tank. Mm. But um, to the Arteta point, your recruitment in recent months has been so encouraging as is some of the coaching. And now you're almost, it's almost like Arsenal returning to the level where they should be at. Yeah, I think it was fair to say that the the run of bad results, you know, there's no excusing it in any way. But I do think in certain circumstances, we were, if not unlucky, I think that's probably the wrong way to look at it um, because we contributed to some of our our downfalls, you know, with red cards, with silly moments and and what have you. And that does make life more difficult for yourself. You know, you think about uh, Aubameyang going through a goal-scoring drought and then scoring an own goal 
against Burnley, you know, right. things like that, which, which happen, uh, you know, which it's sort of like you put your foot in a puddle and then you turn around, you put your foot in the next puddle and you sort of go through these runs of things just don't go your way. And then look, they turned around and, and things are looking a lot more encouraging right now. So, you know, I think it's, it's reasonable to say that we weren't quite as bad as that run uh, suggested, nor do I think we're quite as good as the current run uh, suggests. You know, the 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 six games without defeat now, five wins and a draw. You know, there's been some really promising things, and the team has changed considerably from yeah. that team that went through the bad run because we found you know other players to come in. Saka's doing it from the right. Smith Rowe has come in and shown us what we've been missing in terms of creative midfield and and everything else. So yeah, I mean, I think it's it is encouraging. Um, I mean, I, I just want to ask you about Solskjaer, actually, because he has been, um, I guess, criticized by yeah. by United fans, and I understand it. And he has been seen as a kind of, I'm not going to say a joke, that's not right, but, you know, people maybe don't associate him with the manager's job at a club of the stature of United, you know, given his track record. And again, I can, I can kind of understand that. But it's it's interesting, isn't it, in a week in which Frank Lampard was yeah. uh, unceremoniously and um, brutally sacked by by Chelsea. I have to say, I think one of the most amusing things about the the Lampard sacking is that members of the the British football press acted really surprised that Chelsea were Chelsea, as if they've never seen Chelsea do this to... You right, know. Ancelotti. Yeah. Ancelotti. Well, I mean, my goodness. Yeah. I know, yeah. Like, countless managers. Chelsea have been absolutely ruthless in sacking a manager. Maybe it's different when you do it to, you know, uh, one of the one of the great lions of English football. I don't quite know. Maybe that's what it is. But, you know, I think a criticism of Lampard was that he, hmm. when things were not going well, he didn't... Um, or he put things on the players publicly, which I don't think you should do, and I, I don't know that that helped him. And one of the one of the things I think that that Solskjaer has done, even when things have been really bad, is is make right. sure that he doesn't do that publicly. Uh, that's certainly something that he would have learned from Alex Ferguson as well. Yes, um, has yes. that stood him in huge. good stead? Yes, and that's huge. Look, my main criticism of Solskjaer um, was that we were seeing superb results one week and bad results the next week. So you have United beat Leipzig. They put five goals past Leipzig at home, but mm. lose three, two away. Um, you know, and they, they beat Basak Shea 4-1 in the Champions League at home, but lose 2-1 away, but then have remarkable away form in the Premier League. So I was like, my, my issue was, where's the consistency coming from? Mm. But the one thing you're quite right to point out, Solskjaer has the dressing room behind him. You know, you look at the Pogba situation with Mino Raiola and Raiola coming out talking about Pogba should leave and all the rest of it. In January the, as well, didn't he? He said he should could go in January and then rode back on it a bit. I mean, that's a difficult situation to manage. And the way he managed it, the way Solskjaer managed it, he took all the heat out of it. And look how Pogba's performing now, who scored uh, two match winners in, I think, the last four games. Um, was pivotal, um, almost scored a winner against Liverpool. Uh, you know, really like... It goes to show that in a, in a chaotic season, you've got to cut even more slack to the players. And if you come out and take the flack for them, they will reward you. And this is the thing with Lampard. And I hate to say it, this is my single biggest criticism of Lampard is this. You you can never have too many allies in the dressing room. Mm. And he didn't he didn't cultivate them. And it has been interesting. I know that when you have a new manager, your focus players focus the new manager, but you haven't seen that many players come out on social media 
effusive in their thanks. And that's always, I think the silence is always a little bit revealing, I think. Yeah. Um, I remember watching uh, Chelsea lose to you. And to me, that was more of an Arsenal victory than Chelsea defeat, if that makes sense, because Arsenal sure. asserted themselves. And Lampard was absolutely brutal um, towards, I think, and Reese James had been playing really well to that, but one of the Chelsea's best players that season. I just thought, Reese James like, deserves a bit more support in public than than you're giving him. And I, I just wonder, I wonder if Lampard looks back and, you know, there'll be a lot of lessons from the Chelsea experience. He might say, I should have gone in summer. He might think that, but I just hope he looks back and reflects and goes, maybe I, I shouldn't be so brutal in public about my players. It's a strange... Maybe I shouldn't do that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because he, you know, he's it's not too long since he's been a player. You know, so you're not far removed from that, uh, from that, you know, the dressing room culture and what you as a player uh, would want from your manager or the way you would want to be treated by a manager publicly. Mm. You know, what, what goes on on the training ground and what managers and players say to each other in public, you know, I think if it was repeated, if it became public knowledge, you know, <laughs> people would be yeah, heading for their right. fainting couches or whatever. But, you know, the golden rule is, you know, what what happens in-house stays in-house, etc., uh, etc. Et so it was always a bit strange to me that he, he was so publicly um, critical of players, particularly when you're at a club as ruthless as Chelsea. I think there are some, do you know what it was? I think Lampard, I think in a way you've, you've, you've nailed it. He's too, he's so soon after being a player that he maybe has not developed his own managerial style. So the way that he is at the moment, is this kind of one size fits all. Mm. And the approach that works, there are some players who are motivated by being called out in public and maybe he was one of them. Maybe actually Lampard responded well to public criticism. It was like, well, I can handle it. So can others. Yeah. But not everyone responds well to that. Like, and it, it, it's, it's terrible to say this. I don't know if I can even speak his name on this podcast, but Jose Mourinho, sorry, I've said it now. <laughs> Jose Mourinho, um, for all the players who's left in his wake, is actually much more calibrated at who he attacks in public of his players and who he doesn't. He's not perfect at it, but he's better at it. He's better at understanding who to go after in public and who not to. I'm not saying he's great at it because he's, you know, I think he's diverted a lot of careers to a negative effect. But I felt like with Lampard, it was, um, I felt like he hadn't tailored his approach. Maybe a comparison to draw is Roy Keane at Sunderland and Ipswich. You know, Roy Keane started really well at Sunderland. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, when you have to have nuance, he couldn't handle that. Like Roy Keane never actually moderated his approach for a different context, which is why ultimately I think he hasn't been a manager since the Ipswich job. Yeah. yeah um, you can come back that to that. Sense. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. And you can kind of, uh, you know, the old trope about great players not making great managers, et cetera, et cetera. You know, whatever. Frank Lampard is never <laughs> my favourite player, but I can recognise what a huge impact he had in the Premier League and what he had uh, at Chelsea, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and for England, um, mm. to, to, to have the record he does, um, you know, it speaks for itself. Um, but then there is perhaps that, uh, that idea that that those players can sometimes get frustrated with I'm not going to say lesser players because I think there's a difference between Roy Keane at Sunderland yes. and Frank Lampard 
at Chelsea and a Chelsea that have just spent 200 and something million pounds on some of the best talent in Europe. So I don't think, I don't think that gap necessarily is, is quite there in terms of the quality of player, you know, against what the manager is. But I wonder, is it a, is it a mindset thing? Is an, is it an attitude thing maybe with Lampard that, you know, he doesn't see in these guys what, what, what he saw or what he did himself. I think in Lampard's defence, and I said this before, like I think they were two completely different jobs. I think once you bring in all that talent, mm. then it almost becomes a different team because in terms of the seniority of ability, when you bring in all those players, there's maybe only a couple of the existing crop, like, and I would include Callum Hudson-Odoi in that, mm. who can, I mean, and that that is an extraordinary player, Hudson-Odoi. We're going to see that more and more of, over the next few months and years. Um of the existing crop of players that Lampard was working with, only one or two get starting spots over the new talent that's brought in. And he didn't want a lot of that new talent, or at least it wasn't, you know, as Athletic had revealed in one of their articles, um, only, the, only one of the targets that was brought in of the six was a player that he wanted. So in his defence, it was a whole new job um, from the start of this year. At the same time, like, I mean, like I look at Arteta, and like, I've always backed Arteta, even in as a as, as a as a football fan first and United fan second. I really liked what I saw from Arteta in those early games, those early months with Arsenal. Mm. And what's really exciting is now, now you're, you brought in uh, Odegaard, you brought in um, Smith Rowe to the centre of your attack. I know Bamiyang's been going through a tough time, but that will pass. I really think Arsenal are in a, and they're in a really an opportunity to like uh, kick on from here and do something really exciting. Yeah, we're finally we're finally going to see the Arsenal that he envisaged when he took the job. I think. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. Just a final point on Lampard. Um, I know yeah, we've sure, kind sure. of gone off track here, but I mean, no, no, sure, 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 sure. You know, f- for a guy who spent his basically his whole career at Chelsea, right? You know the the opposition to big name, big money signings is kind of at odds with the way Chelsea have operated and will continue to operate because I think that's what makes the managers so easily interchangeable because they're buying high quality players all the time. And I understand the the the, the need or the desire to invest in, in youth, but I think you can make a greater case for a club like Arsenal, which, you know, despite being owned by billionaires, are not necessarily bankrolled by billionaires in the same way that, that Chelsea have been. So, to pursue a policy of promoting the brightest academy talent makes a lot more sense at Arsenal than it does at Chelsea. It seems like, not that it was quite a hill to die on, but it is kind of counterintuitive to the way Chelsea have operated for so many years. Yeah, I think he was managing a club that wasn't there. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting I, it, yeah. You know, you know, it, it's... um, And I, I have a little... I have an element of cynicism when he was appointed you know, the transfer ban, how many managers could they get? How many managers across Europe who are available? And there's there's never really that many managers of the the absolute elite level available because mm. there's so few of them in the world were available who looked at the Chelsea job and go, I'm not coming to do that job. Knowing what your board is like yeah. with the transfer ban, I'm being set up to fail. You know, it was almost like a Lopetegui at Real Madrid before they signed those players situation. It was like almost, I'm set up to fail taking this job. And so I wonder if managers were like a lot of the kind of or two or three of the managers they might have looked at first choice would have been like, we're not taking that. And they're like, actually, Frank Lampard at Derby, play some nice football, so popular with the fans, let's bring him in. But kind of 
not set up to fail so much, but like, yeah, maybe set up to fail. Maybe like, actually he was always in borrowed time mm. and maybe he clocked that. And I think part of his thinking was if I get into Chelsea job and do an amazing job, they can't sack me. But I think, I think the fuse was always shorter than he fully imagined it was. Yeah. I think, I think he thought he had more, I think what's going to hurt him maybe most of all is that maybe he thought he had more goodwill with the Chelsea administration than he thought. And this is what's going to be painful because, you know, he spent his very best years there. He was a legend there and he's emotionally so invested in that club. So when it treats you that way, I wonder if he will regret giving the club the opportunity to treat him that way. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder. Maybe, maybe. We'll see what happens. Uh, and obviously they've got a, a new man in there now who is uh, who's going to click with some of those German players. So uh, one for us to keep an eye on. Uh, yeah, you need, to be, you need to be very scared about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, wow, yeah, yeah, we're level yeah. on points with Chelsea. I mean, yeah, I mean, there were, I, it was a bit bittersweet, I have to say, you know, the idea yeah. that, okay, look, they, they've sacked him. And that's kind of funny when you're an opposition fan. But then, you know, they're bringing in somebody who, you know, whether he lasts that long or not, I'm not, uh, I'm not 100% sure, but certainly is going to, to have an impact in the short to medium term about, you know, the way they play. And when things are so tight in the table, I mean, you look at the table now. Arsenal are in ninth on 30 points, but West Ham are fourth on, on 35 points, you know? So right. this season, uh, everything is and has been so condensed um, and it is kind of all still up for grabs. So from an Arsenal perspective, look, we can only play the games that we're going to play. And, you know, you guys are a point behind uh, Man City at the top of the table. So there's a right old ding dong going on there in, in, in yeah. terms of the title and everything else. Uh, I suppose we should mention Leicester as well. Um, yes, even if yeah. they, even if they do have a bit of form for, falling away in in the second half of the season um a scrap between the two manchester clubs for the title isn't necessarily what we were thinking about maybe at the start of this campaign not at all i mean look at that league table you look you look nine points you're 11 points back right yeah city um that's nine places then villa have got um two games in hand over you that is a real and southampton too like leeds even like that is a it's a hell of a league it's hell of a championship and the thing is What's exciting about that, if you look at all those um, clubs, the coaches are all brilliant. Like, look at, the, look at the coaching depth. You go all the way down that table, there's not a bad coach in the uh, Premier League, right? There's not even just a good coach. There's like very good coaches all the way down. Like, very good. This is the thing, and this is what's so exciting about it. In a league like this, a couple of big victories going under the radar, for Arsenal in particular changes the whole picture mm. there's no reason why arsenal can't push for champions league like i would be talking behind closed doors in the arsenal hierarchy let's go for the champions league let's just not tell anyone we're doing it but let's go for it because it's on it's absolutely on there's no reason why it's not yeah no i agree i agree i mean there's still whatever it's basically we're only at the halfway point in the season i think our minds are calibrated very uh slightly towards right it's the end of january so we're heading towards the business end of the season but because things started so late and, mm. and i realize now that the schedule is really condensed and really hectic and it is going to be you know i think the 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 physical impact of this uh schedule on players is going to be quite important in how the season turns out 
you know, who can keep their players fit? You know, there's there's obviously science behind that. There's there's uh, thinking behind that. But I think there's also just a bit of good luck about that. Like a guy who doesn't get a kick who's your most important player. And, you know, it's not to say he won't be fatigued or whatever. But, you know, if you get a key injury or two, it's going to really impact, you know, the way that you can perform. You know, I'm thinking of Arsenal and Thomas Partey and what he brings to our midfield and how much better we are with him in the team. You know, oh, if yes. we're without him, and we were without him during a considerable part of that run where we we didn't win any games and and dropped a lot of points because you know foolishly stupidly we risked him for the north london derby when he wasn't oh, ready and you yeah. know it's it's impossible not to think of of how different it might have been if we'd said okay look let's try and do what we need to do in the derby without parte it's more difficult but it's not beyond the realms of possibility then you have him for these games you know which on paper you 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 think you can win so you know fitness and and availability of players is going to be absolutely key and what's exciting for you as well is like, look, you've won what four of your last five. Um, what in the league, like you've mm. four, four, uh, one, four, drawn one, and then you've also like this is the great thing about Arsenal is the defense is actually pretty good. It's pretty good. Mm. Like what you're conceding a goal a game. That's actually better than most of the teams above you. So the only you've got to do is unlock the creativity. And we saw this with Leipzig in, in Germany. They fixed the defence. This happened like a couple of years. Leipzig fixed the defence first and then added a bit of creativity and attack and it transformed them. Mm. Like they, I think they brought in Sabitzer, uh, Marcel Sabitzer, and that just changed everything. You've made a couple of signings now. You've changed a couple of things around. And I think now, and this and also I think Nicolas Pepe, now that he's been liberated from the pressure of being one of the guys, now he's a kind of like... Um, auxiliary attacker a bit like nanny was at manchester united nanny was never the main guy at united in the same way that pepe should never have been the main guy at arsenal and no one should try to make him the main guy because the price tag i reckon now you're going to see better form from him because the pressure's off to an extent mm. there's so there's so many intangible benefits to bring in odegaard from real because it's going to liberate that attack and you've got goal scorers at arsenal this this is what is so exciting it's almost like a new competitors have been thrown into the ring now and all of a sudden I mean well that's we're looking at sort of top top 10 really because Southampton unfortunately don't quite have the squad depth mm. if we look at that top 10 in the Premier League wow like anyone can get it any any one of those top 10 I mean obviously City are going out by themselves I think and they're going into the stratosphere slowly but those top 10 they can all reasonably look at top four place I yeah. think yeah yeah yeah, I mean it's it's it is there, and I think the addition of of Odegaard is really exciting. You know, when I was thinking about what Arsenal might be able to do in the transfer market this window, you know, previous loan signings we've we've brought in like uh, Dennis Suarez, and we we're linked to players like Carrasco and Ivan Perisic, and you're thinking, okay, a guy who's got plenty of experience, grizzled veteran, he's on the outs with the club that he's in, he wants to play, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the idea of signing somebody like uh, Odegaard was just not in my mind. So I mean, he's, I think I think there's a level. Yeah, I mean, there's there's been plenty to be critical about uh, uh, the the Arsenal executive level in terms of some of the deals that they've done and how they've done them and some of the players that have been brought in, some of the deals that have been, uh, you know, done to bring in those players haven't been necessarily healthy. But, you know, in this context, you know, that that's kind of a coup when you think about how many teams in Europe would have wanted this guy if they knew he was available for a short-term loan. Absolutely. I just want to know who brought brought him in. I don't know if you know who brought that brought him in, but somebody knows exactly. Well, I mean, what I th- there's a relationship there between um, 
between the two clubs because of the Danny Ceballos loan. And what's, I okay. think what's interesting about that Ceballos loan is um, that it uh, when they released the, the Premier League payments to agents and all that kind of stuff, there's a, there's a big PDF file that you can download and you can see, right, okay, uh, player goes from X club to Y club. It shows you the intermediaries, who's involved in the deal, et cetera, et cetera. And I was looking at this um, for the deals that Arsenal have done recently and I looked at it for the summer of 2019 uh, and there was no mention of Ceballos. And I asked right. the club about this and, and basically they said, uh, or confirmed to me anyway, that there were no intermediaries. This was a deal done between the two clubs and the arrangement with the player was, you know, was done on that basis. So there wasn't really an agent involved in that. So I just wonder if the relationships between the, the, the hierarchies or the sporting executives of the two clubs has been pretty solid, um, you know, because we brought Ceballos back again this season. Uh, yeah. Edu, I think, has has played a part in that. Mikel Arteta was on the phone to, to Odegaard. He talked today about how he just wanted to tell him what the club's about, what, what they envisage for him as a player at the club. So... It feels yeah. like they they sort of got in there perhaps before before other teams might have have uh, have struck. You know, I know Real Sociedad yeah. were interested, but but you know, I can think of lots of clubs even at Premier League level who would have been really uh, behind the idea of bringing this guy in. But the fit is so good at Arsenal. The fit is absolutely perfect because there's so much room to expand into and create into. I mean, my favourite theory, my favourite fan theory, which I've generated along with probably others, is that <laughs> it was a Nacho Monreal WhatsApp group. That's my... <laughs> that will always be my favourite. No. <laughs> I love that, yeah. You know, yeah. You know it makes sense. Yeah, Nacho, Na- Nacho Santi Cazorla and Mikel Arteta in their WhatsApp yeah. group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Santi has been added to the chat. You can see it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm really hyped for Arsenal because, and I'm, I'm excited to see him play because I loved watching him for Sociedad. He mm. really, oh my God, he just, the genius, his genius is to orchestrate the attack. So he was working with, um, you know, Mikel Mourinho, Ayatharbal at um, Sociedad, uh, Porto came through later, William Jose, and his ability to lead the counter, his ability to break down complex defensive systems. And some might say, oh, he hasn't done it at Real this year. But frankly, who has? Mm. Who has done it, Real? Like, what Real have achieved this year in this in a La Liga has basically been relying on the kind of institutional memory of players like Benzema and Sergio Ramos. It's kind of a patchwork team at this point, yeah. and it's very hard for a creative player to thrive in a patchwork team. Arsenal are not. Arsenal have very, very solid fundamentals. Very solid fundamentals. You know, the defense is coordinated. You've got a great keeper. Um, you know, it's solid. It's all solid, and they were just looking for that bit of attacking flair. And now they've got it. Mm. And it's, it's going to be, I, I can't wait to watch this Arsenal team when it gets going. It's going to be really, really thrilling, to be honest. I'm excited. Well, look, obviously, I hope that happens uh, on Saturday. But, you, but, but you not, well, I, well, I think it's a bit too soon, Andrew. I think it's a bit too soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just want us to hold off for just a, just another day yeah, or two. Just yeah. like, ease, ease into it. Ease, ease into, into it. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you don't want to get ahead of ourselves here. That's no, sure. no, of course. I'll just wait till Monday. Wait till Monday. Monday training. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Musa, as ever, it's a pleasure talking to you. Just before you go, um, yeah. you have got a uh, a book out, a new book out. So please give us an idea of what that's about and, and tell us where people can get it. Oh, thanks. Okay, so shout out to Rough Trade Books who published my new book. It's called, In the End, It Was All About Love. And basically, for anyone who's ever moved to a new city or country to make a new life, this book, this book is basically for you. So I moved to Berlin six years ago, and the book basically traces me at a certain point in my life when I was approaching 40, 
And my dad died when he was 40. So I was kind of like reflecting on what I'd done with my life mm. and if I could make a go of it in a new country. So it's really about that journey that I went on. Um, it's quite a short book, 120 pages. I wrote it basically for the kind of Instagram generation because we're all busy doing other things. Sure. So it's a book It's a book you can dip into at individual points or maybe just read through in one sitting. So yeah, hope you enjoy it. Okay, so that's Rough Trade Books. People can look that up on Twitter and online and, and order, the, order the book through there. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, best of luck with it. I uh, hope it goes really well for you. And as ever, it's a, it's a pleasure talking to you and we'll catch up with you again soon. Thanks so much. And most importantly, most importantly, as I say, but I think before, May the best team win. Yes, indeed. All right. Cheers, Musa. Thank you. Always a pleasure to talk to Musa. You can, of course, find him on Twitter. He is at Okwanga. He is the co-host of the Stadio podcast, along with Ryan, which is well worth your time. So do check that one out. And he can also be found on Wrighty's House on a regular basis with, of course, the one and only Ian Wright. So if you want more Musa in your life, that's where you get it. Roughtradebooks.com is the website through which you can order his book. Again, there is a link in the show notes. So if you want to check it out there, but you can just go to roughtradebooks.com. The book is called In the End, It Was All About Love uh, by Musa Okwanga. So you can find the link on that website as well. So United at the weekend, the team news is that uh, they're assessing Thomas Partey. As I'm recording anyway, it's Thursday. They're assessing Thomas Partey and Emil Smith-Rowe, who had to come off during the the win over Southampton. They're hopeful, but they can't say for sure whether or not those guys are going to be available. I really, really hope they are because... uh, our chances of winning are better when those two guys play uh, in the team. Whether Martin Odegaard is going to be fit and available, we'll wait and see. I think it's uh, probably too soon for him to start a game, but assuming he's relatively fit, there's no reason why he couldn't be on the bench if he's got a couple of training sessions under his belt. So let's wait and see there. Beyond that, I think Danny Ceballos is back. Pablo Marie could well be back in full training, whether they're ready again for a game uh, is up in the air. We don't quite know what's happening with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. I suspect, based on what uh, Mikel Arteta was saying in his press conference on Thursday, uh, that he's not going to be available, even though the news is is better from his perspective. The family matter that he had to deal with, uh, the news seems to be a bit better. But whether he's around for the weekend, I'm not sure. I don't think so, but we could have a surprise there. It's a blow, obviously, to be without a player of his quality. But in the end, there are things which are more important than football. And, you know, we have to we have to respect that. And hopefully uh, everything will turn out OK for him and his family. For more discussion of the United game, uh, you can join me and Lewis Ambrose, as usual, on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. Uh, on Friday, Friday evening, we'll be doing a Manchester United preview podcast exclusively for Patreon members. So please join us for that. If you're a member, if you fancy signing up, that will be great. If you don't feel like it, that's also fine. Don't worry about it in the slightest. We love the fact that you're here and listening to this. And of course, you'll be around, I'm sure, for the Arsecast Extra, which I think James and I I will be recording on Sunday at some stage rather than Monday so we may have that one for you a bit early fingers crossed we've got a good game to talk about fingers crossed we can keep this momentum going it's going to be tough against a United side who will be smarting from defeat against Sheffield United the team at the bottom of the table Uh, they'll be looking to get themselves back to winning ways they'll be looking to respond so look no game against United is ever easy we're going to have to play well we're going to have to be smart and, and fingers crossed we can do all that 
that. So look, I'll leave it there for today. Thanks as ever for listening. Arsecast Extra on Sunday, 99.99% certain it's going to be on Sunday anyway. So until then, have yourselves a great weekend and I'll catch you on the next one. Cheers. Bye-bye. Hi, my name is Martin Ödegård. Hi. Well, you can call me Martin Ödegård. Uh. Hi. Hey. My name is Martin Ödegård. Well, you can call me Martin Ödegård. Right. So. Martin Ödegård. Okay. Martin Ödegård. Hmm. Ödegård. Mm-hmm. Odegar. I see. Your twins. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 